On this episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, my guests are Jonathan and Heather Powell, CMF Church Catalyst Missionaries to Ukraine. They share about their 22 years of life and ministry in Ukraine, the power of speaking leadership potential into another person, the joy and frustrations of community, and how God took a funny moment from their language year and turned it into a transformative ministry. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to the Fellowship. Welcome to the Fellowship Podcast. Hey, Jake. Hey, thanks. Hey. Oh, I am very excited to have you all uh, on the podcast today and to get to know one another a little bit better. I know you all as far as in name and in ministry within CMF, um, but I have never spent significant time with you all. Uh, so this is going to be an opportunity for us to get to know one another a little bit uh, today, but really want to hear about your journey uh, of faith as well as your journey into missions and service. Uh, everything from your time at Georgia Tech CCF, your time uh, as REACH interns, as well as being missionaries in Ukraine. So thank you for being on the podcast today. And I look forward to talking more uh, with you all about all this stuff. It's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'd love to start first off with talking a little bit about each of you uh, and your family uh, and what you guys are doing right now. Where are you guys based uh, at the moment? And uh, what are you up to these days? Jonathan, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, what you're up to. Okay. Um, we, we live in Fairburn, Georgia, uh, the, situa- the city situated to succeed, which I really like. Um, <laughs> it's, it's south of Atlanta, just, just south of the airport. And then I am um, on staff as the young adults minister at our home church, Southwest. Okay. Uh, we have two daughters. Um, Maya, our oldest, is at Barry College. Um, this is her third year. Third year. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a math major. Wow. And Sasha is going to, uh, we homeschooled both of our kids all the way through, uh, but Sasha stopped at her junior year and she's, she went to a, a private uh, Christian school that's here in land uh, in Fairburn called landmark for her mm-hmm. senior year. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was accepted to Georgia tech. And so she's going to be at Georgia tech next year. All right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Following in your footsteps, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Heather, uh, you you are at uh, CCF at Georgia Tech right now, working with That's Rick right. Harper and the team there. Uh, do That's you have right. a specific demographic of students you work with or uh, oversee uh, there? At so CCF? my uh, main job there is I run a, a bakery at okay. Tech, and so I bake with students. Um, it's kind of a two part ministry. Uh, part of my ministry is trying to get people who aren't involved or not are kind of on the fringe of our ministry to bake with me for a couple of hours a week. And the other part is to give out the baked goods that we make. So every week on Thursday, we give out free baked goods on campus and um, like Starbucks kind of drinks. So we do like yesterday we did the pink drink from Starbucks, the strawberry refresher with the coconut milk. And so we, we serve about 200 every, every week. That's awesome. Of our house. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard over the years of doing the podcast now, various people that have either come to faith and are now CMF missionaries or connected with CMF through CCF 
but because of the baked goods, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something with the cookies or cinnamon rolls, yep. whatever it is. So, yeah, hey, that's a, that's a great way to win people to Christ through their bellies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, through good eats. Oh, that's great. And so you're at Southwest uh, Christian Church right now mm-hmm. um, as the young adults pastor. Was that a supporting church for you all uh, in, in your time uh, in Ukraine? Yes, um, there are. When we um, started going to CCF at Georgia Tech mm-hmm. with Rick, um, this was his home church, the, the, um, the church that he went to, and uh, he took us to church with him. Yeah. And so it became our home church. And um, uh, it, they were the first church to support us uh, when we were oh, wow. support raising. And um, have been uh, just, yeah, been with us the entire time we were in Ukraine. And uh, when we came back, um, offered me, yeah, this position to come on staff. Oh, that's really cool. And so we've mentioned Ukraine a couple times already in the last few minutes, but you served in Ukraine for close to 22 years, and mm-hmm. you're currently here in the United States on what we refer to within CMF as a, a leave of absence. Right. Uh, you, you had mentioned a couple of reasons behind that. Uh, I'd love to hear you, you can share with us uh, what what the reasoning behind why you stepped away for, for a little bit. Um, that, that'd be great to hear. So um, there was several different reasons. One of it was uh, our daughters were getting into college and um, it was a harder transition than we realized for mm-hmm. to get because they were born and raised in Ukraine. And yeah. so it was kind of a cross-cultural experience for them to come back to the States um, and then going to college after being homeschooled their whole lives. So that was in um, 2020 when COVID hit as well. Oh, great timing, also, great timing. Of, <laughs> yeah, that kind of complicated everything as well. Um, but we had always planned to go back, like to to stay here for maybe six months and then go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seemed like we weren't supposed to. And mm-hmm. um, we kept on trying to go back and things would happen that would keep us here. Um, and so after about... I guess we were here for about nine months with Maya starting college. Um, We decided we needed to make a decision that Mm -hmm. it was, it was hard on our younger daughter. It was hard on our family not to to have this, you know, indecision. And so we decided to do a three year leave of absence. um, Probably the most difficult decision Mm -hmm. we've ever made uh, because we didn't have a clear reason why Um, it felt like God was wanting this, but we weren't sure why. Um, and so we decided to do that and just to, that would give us time to get both girls in college and settled. And then hopefully we would be able to go back to Ukraine at that time, just the two of us. Um, but then since then, the war has, you know, uh, just completely exploded yeah. and um, we, we wouldn't be able to go back right now yeah. if we wanted to. You would have been removed from the country as yeah. is. And yeah. yeah. So get looking back. back, it was like, that's why God was wanting us out when he wanted us yeah that's amazing that's amazing yeah it's so interesting yeah where the the spirit leads or even those those strange nudges that you don't quite understand what's going on and then in hindsight you could see oh okay so god god had it in some intention behind sticking around uh georgia for a little bit longer than than you wanted Um, yeah so i'd love to now kind of step back to the beginning of you guys connecting, uh, you connecting at CCF, Georgia tech, as well as how in the world did you connect with CMF and end up in Ukraine, uh, over the last, you know, 22 plus years of life. Uh, so 
how did you two meet? Did you guys meet at Georgia Tech? Are you both Georgia Tech grads? You know, tell me a little bit about that. I'd love to hear some. Uh, we met in high school. Uh, mm -hmm. So we started dating in high school. Um, high Heather's school sweethearts. That's yep. awesome. <laughs> yep. Heather's a year younger than me, but somehow we were in the same math class. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting how that worked. Yeah, she sat in front of me. And uh, so, yeah, we started dating in high school. And then I went to Georgia Tech and she came the following year. And um, when she came, uh, a church that she had attended really sporadically, a Christian church here in Georgia, um, gave her name to Rick. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to her and um, she wanted to uh, she wanted to go to Bible study. She wanted to go to CCF and I wanted to keep dating her. So I went. <laughs> um, but at that time, yeah. But at that time, neither of us were going to church. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And so th this is in the early nineties, correct? This is 19. Yeah. I went, I, I this 1990 is when she's 19. She came to tech. Okay. Um, and so what was the initial connection then with, like, did Rick come find you in your dorm? Like, how, how did that work? Or what, did he have cinnamon rolls at that point that he, he was distributing? <laughs> he, um, he'll he tell the story that he just sent out, I don't know how many, he's like 500 invitations in our PO boxes. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting that invitation because I was actually going through sorority rush at the time. And mm -hmm. that was how they were um, inviting us back the next day. Yeah. Um, and so I, I went to my mailbox and got the invitations back to these, these sorority houses. Um, and it was one of those where only, you know, you get invited back to certain sorority houses yes. that wanted yeah. you to continue. Yeah. And, um, there was a bunch of girls there. We were right there, right when the post office opened and they were just bawling because they didn't get invited back uh, to the sororities yeah. that they wanted to. Yeah. And I was like, I just don't like this feeling and yeah, um, yeah. at the same time i got that invitation to come to ccf and i was like well maybe i'll try this instead hmm. and um and i went and so yeah that was oh, that's that so was cool the beginning. that became your place of belonging and like yeah <laughs> way better yeah. way better than a sorority uh in some yeah way. yeah it was Oh, that's cool. Okay, so you showed up and what were at the time uh there in in, in 90 were they doing um, the Thursday night Bible study gathering or mm -hmm. like, how did that, how did things look then? It was about 20 people in an old house. We'd meet in the living room of this old house. Yeah. Um, and we were the new people probably for three or four weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we would come, Rick always says we came late. We'd come right, you know, before, so that we didn't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> yes. And as soon as it was over, we were out the door and either him or his intern, were chasing us down on the sidewalk. Uh, yeah, say you know, talk to us because yeah, I was I was willing to go, but I was cutting all the corners. Yeah, yeah, you're you're just doing the minimal amount of commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice. Okay, so then, how did it go from them chasing you to then you always being there uh, mm -hmm. and being connected? I think we just found community there, yeah. and um, me having been there for a year before Heather. At the, and, um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of friends, didn't have a whole mm -hmm. lot of connections. And um, I was also rushing a fraternity at the same yeah. time that we were going to CCF and um, got into the fraternity and and then just kind of made the decision. Yeah, that 
I made a choice that I, was, I chose CCF hmm. over that, but it was um, uh, just hanging out with Rick and being a part of that. Um, yeah, it, it quickly became, yeah, our community at Georgia Tech. Part of uh, Rick's kind of philosophy with that is to put everyone in leadership. And so mm-hmm. we both got leadership roles really early in the okay. ministry. And yeah. I don't know, it, it kind of just the fact that he believed in me, even though mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't sure what I believed in at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up going very much Christmas and Easter to church. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. And so I felt like I was kind of faking it for a while, but then he put me yeah. in this leadership position and I was like, okay, now I have to, I have to live up to what he thinks mm. I am. And mm. so, yeah, it was just kind of that having, mm. having some responsibility, having ownership. ownership of the ministry was, was what kept me there. Well, that's an interesting perspective. I love that, that he, he saw something in you, saw mm-hmm. kind of envisioned for you what your future could be, your potential was, and then you had to, figure out how to start living up to that potential. Uh, yeah, really yeah, very much so. An intriguing uh, ministry model. Uh, <laughs> setting an example for you that you're not living yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really cool. So, okay, so you start getting involved. You start being leaders there uh, at CCF. At what point did the REACH summer internship and CMF come on come across You know, your radar as something that you should be, do or be a part of? Um, so every uh, spring break, um, even to this day, we um, CCF goes to Juarez, Mexico, and mm-hmm. builds one of the houses for Casas for Cristo. Okay. And so um, that was my first experience with um, with any kind of mission work. Um, and after that week, I kind of felt like, yeah, I would like to do something more. I, I wasn't. Um, you know, being a full-time missionary was never on my radar, mm-hmm. but I was like, yeah, I'd like to do something a little bit longer, something maybe where I'd get to know some of the language. Um, and so I, I went into Rick's office and asked him, you know, what else is available? And he put me in contact with Herb Works. Um, okay. The Jake Moore of 1990. had a lunch with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with him. Um, that was right when the REACH internship program was started. Um, and so in 93, I went to Chile with the region. And she came back from Chile and she says, I think God wants us to be missionaries. And I got the next summer to Kenya with the Maasai to see if she was telling the truth. And, uh, <laughs> nice. and it turned out she was. Yeah, she was right. Huh? So it looks like relationally, you guys were on, on a trajectory of being together uh, after mm-hmm. college, like you were going to get married. And so this mm-hmm. definitely influenced why you would want to go check out this missions thing too and see mm-hmm. if, if it's for you as well. Why in the world did you go to Kenya and not Chile uh, though? <laughs> um, I think when Heather was in uh, Chile, the, the, the ministry was being turned over. Okay. to the nationals in a large way. And I kind of, I think I just, I chose Kenya because it, it seemed hard. It seemed, mm-hmm. you know, just radically different. And it was, um, and maybe it was, in, you know, interesting to me to go, to go there, but it was, yeah, just trying some, something that, um, yeah, that I felt would be a stretch. Yeah. But maybe, you know, hope, hoping to disprove it that I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't cut out for this stuff. Yeah. yeah so you, you, you went in, <laughs> 
intentionally doing the hard one, yeah, but then sabotage. also hoping that you could sabotage yeah. it. <laughs> that's oh, that's <laughs> good. That's good. And God was like, no, you're not going to sabotage this, buddy. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was, it was a great summer and yeah, it, yeah, it was very much confirming, uh, but it was, you know, it was a lot of that was that I, I spent half my time with Tim Ross, Tim mm. and Marsha Ross, wow. the other half of my time with Dan and Connie Crum. <laughs> And uh, and Kip went to Kenya that summer, and so I had a lot of good folks around me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard when the cards are stacked against you to yep, sabotage yep. anything. Those are some phenomenal people: the Crumbs, the Rosses, and uh, Kip Lines uh, to be around. So that's hard to uh, not see it be make a phenomenal impact uh, in your life. Um, I would love to hear a little bit maybe even thinking about current reach interns or people that maybe are in the space where you were at in 1990 to 93 94 of okay i'm in college i'm having a great experience here maybe i want to do something internationally but i don't know what that would look like what would be some a few words of advice or thoughts that you would offer up to somebody that was in the same place as you uh you know, encouraging them to maybe go serve or helping them <laughs> understand that you weren't planning on being a missionary. <laughs> you were trying to sabotage it. Uh, what, what would be some things that you would offer up? Yeah. Um, to me, one of the things I loved about the REACH internship was uh, the way it was structured to kind of give you a little taste of, of what missionary life looks like that you mm -hmm. you know you, you do spend a few weeks in language learning you do some ministry whatever that looks like of camps or um vbs or things like that but um i really to me it was um it was something that uh you know you, yeah gave you the you recognize that you this, this was something that you could do that language learning you know that you know language is a human ability and you know we can mm -hmm. learn other languages even if we don't think we're uh, great at that and so I, to me it was kind of i think just empowering and and you know just exciting to say you know that you could do some of these things that you could kind yeah. of get a taste of it and, and and get a little bit of success sometimes get some discouragement with that as well but just um but just kind of getting the whole um and also just the downtime of you know that you know not every day is you know, we're, we're, you know, doing a, an incredible evangelistic outreach in the village and, you know, you know, with uh, Tim and Dan, you know, seeing them working on their house or working on their car, or hmm. spending time with the family that you just, you get a snapshot of what the life looks like, where mm -hmm. like the, I think the Casas trip is one of the best uh, design trips just for really getting to do something, you know, just feeling, you know, that you, that you went and accomplished something, mm -hmm. but, uh, the reach internship or, um, gives you just, you, you see what life looks like. Right. The, the natural rhythms of life and ministry. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like a one week trip is great, but it's, it's kind of intense fire hose experience, you know, like drinking from right. fire hose. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I hear you. Yeah. And so being able to be there for the whole summer, you saw the patterns for life, the patterns for ministry mm -hmm. uh, and kind of the natural rhythms that it wasn't like you were preaching and teaching 24, seven, three, six, right. right. <laughs> mm -hmm. How about for you, Heather? What were some of the things that stood out to you? 
Um, so for me, it was also kind of built my confidence that this was something I could do. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was just being away for that long um, out of the States. It was a new experience for me. Learning a language, not being understood was a new experience for me. And we also got the um, opportunity to live with a Chilean family. So Ooh, cool. just seeing that um, from that side was, was new. Um, but I also think it would be great for people who, you know, aren't, don't know what they're wanting to do that uh, this would be eye opening to see what missions are. I, I don't think, I don't think you can fully understand unless unless you take a trip like that what mm -hmm. what exactly missionaries do and what mm -hmm. what exactly is involved in a lifestyle like that mm -hmm. yeah it is you know anytime you get to to visit missionaries whether it's a, a week-long trip or an internship um from then on when you hear them speak or you get mm -hmm. an update from them it just makes so much more sense what they're talking about because you have the context to appreciate what they're going through, you know, the successes, the stresses, all that stuff. It just, um, yeah, it gives you perspective on, you know, and uh, like I say, a lot uh, larger appreciation for what they do because mm -hmm. you understand a little bit better. Um, yeah. And can, and can envision, envision them in that place, envision them right. in ministry and in that context. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Okay. So, I, I know this happens for pretty much anybody that's I, I know that's in college that gets plugged in with ministry is it God takes you on a different track. Um, I went to a state school and was not planning on being in ministry and God had other plans as I got involved mm -hmm. with campus ministry and missions. Um, but generally, I would say at Georgia Tech, culturally, it's not the norm at all to do ministry. Like you're, there are very few people that are studying the liberal arts at Georgia tech, if any, yeah. right. Um, and it's kind of the expectation is you're going to get a job in the business world and in the engineering world culturally there at Georgia tech. So I'd love to know like, okay, you did your REITs internship. You're intrigued by missions, but are you feeling pressured to like get a job, go into engineering, going to the business world? Mm -hmm. Or was it like from the end of reach in 94 for you, Jonathan, like that you all as a couple were like, all right, we're heading in this trajectory. Help us know a little bit about what happened there in those, those subsequent years after or around the end of Georgia Tech. Um, for me, uh, I was in architecture there and, mm -hmm. and I was already struggling in that. <laughs> Um, I was making the grades, but I, I, looking at my classmates, I knew I, this was not my gifting. <laughs> and so I was already looking at switching majors to maybe international affairs. Um, I realized then it would take me another year to finish up my degree. So I decided to stay with architecture and get through with it. But I was already thinking, I don't think this is what I'm going to be doing for my life. Um, nice. One of the main reasons uh, I kind of made this decision was we went on a field trip with our architecture studio group on a Friday night. And I was like, this is weird that we're going to the studio on a Friday night and we get there and it's completely full. And uh, they were staying there the whole weekend because they had a deadline on Monday. And I was thinking, Oh, I thought this was just school. I had no idea <laughs> this was going to be my life for the you know, rest of my life that I was going to be yeah. having these deadlines and staying up all night. And with seeing how deadlines were going to be a part of my life from now on, I, I kind of just made the decision that that's not something that I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
but it was kind of difficult uh, to vocalize that, that I, I'm giving up my Georgia Tech degree, the, you know, the finances yeah. of that and, and trading it in for mission work or ministry work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of looked down upon um, by some, by our, by our parents, by some friends <laughs> and colleagues that, you know, what, how much more could you do if you were making the money and being able to support yeah. or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so you did have some family pushback a little bit. Yes. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah. Did. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. And it, it, and it wasn't. Um, it was just the idea of you know that we um, that we were getting these uh, good degrees and yeah that we're gonna says and so I, I think it was you know just them wanting what was best for us yeah and not having you know just not 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 under not not understanding but just not having a concept of what this life mm-hmm. was going to be and um and uh, yeah kind of feeling like you know why why would you trade that um yeah but sure well has have you guys seen family over the 20 plus years now of being engaged in missions ever come back come around to seeing that it was good <laughs> or has it always been a, a point of like oh Jonathan and Heather do their thing, uh, and yeah. we don't really get it. <laughs> I think they did. I think they do see it as good. I think it was it was always hard us being away, um, yeah. and uh, that only got harder when um, when they had grandkids that were far away. Sure, sure. I remember one like really soul crushing uh, moment for them. Uh, I think it was our first furlough that we went to Ukraine, and. Uh, back that was kind of like where you still did the four year terms mm-hmm. and um and then did a year furlough and uh and so Maya was around two years old, two and a half, mm-hmm. three. Um and when they were taking us back to the airport, um, you know, we're going through the security line, Maya turns around to the grandparents and said, Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And, you know, and just oh. you know, we they weren't gonna see her for another couple of years. Yeah. And yeah. So just, just, just crushing, just crushing. Uh, so those, and 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 then once we did have kids, there was the awareness that yeah, we need to come back a little bit more often. We need yeah. to figure out ways. You know, we met in Europe a couple of times. And mm-hmm. They came to Ukraine. And they never came to Ukraine until we had uh, grandkids. That was funny. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny how that works. Now they've got a they've got a real reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but that stuff was always hard. Yeah. 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 Um, just the hope that every time we came home for furlough that we were done. Yeah. That we weren't going yeah. back. All right. This has got to be your last term. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So you do Kenya, you do Chile for your internships. How in the world did Ukraine get on your radar as a place that you would actually go do ministry and not Kenya or not Chile? Yeah, when I uh, I graduated in '93, and mm-hmm. went, I'm getting dates wrong. Am I? What are you trying to say? Well, just trying to think. I graduated in '93. <laughs> right? You graduated. Okay. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's what old people do. That's um, right. That's right. But, it's our life. But once I graduated, I worked for Rick as an intern for two years, and um, it was Greg, Big Daddy Coley, and I together. For no way. Two okay, years. cool. I was and wondering if you guys ever laughed. Yeah. After us, Rick won't let any interns serve two years. Big Daddy <laughs> Are you and serious? I killed that. Yes. Yeah, we killed that. 
Um, <laughs> like he wanted, he wants now, it, he wants an eject button. He wants to be able to get rid of. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't have fond memories of our second year of, of Big That's Daddy crazy. and I. But, but um, look at the but look at the lineage of ministry yeah. and life that yep. both of you have yep. in Thailand yep. and Ukraine. So come on, Rick. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. good. But so yeah, I, I interned for Rick for two years, and then Heather did the, the second year. Heather, it was Big Daddy, Heather, and I together. Okay. And um, we were in conversation with CMF about you know fields and both Chile and Kenya were both fields where uh, a lot of the, the ministry was being turned over to nationals and, and just, it, it, we, but we loved both places, but just didn't feel cold. Um, it just didn't click, you know, it yeah. just didn't yeah. feel well, right. <clears throat> and then CMF started talking to us about Ukraine and, um, mm. Uh, Heather had actually taken Russian in high school. Mm -hmm. Oh, for real? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That was back when I didn't think languages were important and they would give me two years credit with only one year. So that's yeah. what I did. Russian <laughs> so, yeah, of I all languages. That that's wild. But um, at the time, Ukraine was uh, just kind of felt like it was the biggest need with the least um, amount of missionaries going. It was a new field. And so it was just kind of intriguing. Mm -hmm. um, but we got married and we moved to Emmanuel because we didn't feel properly equipped to go to Ukraine uh, just from, with Georgia Tech degrees felt like we could use some biblical foundation so we went to Emmanuel and um, in 1997 we did a vision trip to Ukraine okay. and um, it felt right um, yeah it just, it just clicked it, yeah, it yeah. Like it, yep it was one of the only places I think CMF was working at the time where they were working with churches that were already established. And so it was kind of a missionary working alongside a church and that felt kind of building up leaders. And that was yeah. what we kind of felt like we were doing at CCF. So, yeah. you know, it felt, it felt right that what we were doing. Yeah. It's, that's so cool to think about. Yeah. The, even what got you serious about your faith following Jesus was mm -hmm. people pouring into you and seeing leadership potential. And so mm -hmm. kind of seeing that replicated now in your ministry yeah. in, in Ukraine, how oh, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. How cool. So what degrees did you end up getting at, at Emmanuel or did you just do some classes uh, and then went on? No, we did degrees. Um, we both got um, MARs at Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. um, both in doctrine. Both in doctrine. And I was okay. actually, um, I wish I, if we were at church, I could show you. I was the 1,000th graduate of a man. No way. <laughs> what a stud. Not hey. Kip, not Katie, not Heather. You. Me. Um, you. That's just you. an alphabetical thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How cool is that? But that's I have awesome. a plaque to prove it. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's great. So 97, you do the vision trip. You graduate from Emmanuel. When did you actually set foot? Uh, as a family to start ministry in Ukraine? September 1999 September is when we 99. moved to Ukraine. Yeah. We okay. moved to Um There was a CMF family there that kind of helped us as a bridge family to get set up <clears throat> with a place to live and find us our first language helper um, and just kind of help us to acclimate. And so we lived in Melitopol for a year and then, um, after that first year of language learning, we moved to the city that we lived in for the rest of our time, 
a city called Berdyansk. Berdyansk. And you were there until 2000. Right. Okay. Yep. To, we, yeah, we, in 2000, we moved to Berdyansk and we were there until we left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I, I am super intrigued, obviously, by the current geopolitical situation going on uh, in Ukraine and with, with Russia invading uh, Ukraine. Um, but I know that part of the world is flavored by being former Soviet Union mm -hmm. and just the influence of Russia over mm -hmm. centuries. Linguistically, where did you guys land? Did you study, you, you know, continuing from his your time in mm -hmm. high school, did you study Russian and do ministry in Russian? Did you do Ukrainian? Was there another language group that you guys were working with? So um, where we lived, the spoken language was Russian. Uh, Ukraine's kind of split down the middle and the, the side on the eastern side closer to Russia is Russian speaking. Um, and then the Western side is more primarily Ukrainian speaking, but even okay. they would understand Russian um, because Russian. of the Soviet Union's influence yeah, over influence them. At that time. So for us, it was always Russian. Um, mm -hmm. We would hear some Ukrainian and over the years, uh, more of our documents and things like that were in Ukrainian. So mm -hmm. we have kind of a passive knowledge of Ukrainian. <laughs> yeah. But the spoken was always Russian. Was always Russian. Um, and does Ukrainian use? Is it Slavic? The the type of writing system. It's a, it? it's a Slavic language as well. They uh -huh. use the Cyrillic alphabet. There's a Cyrillic. few letters that are um, letters in the alphabet that are different. Um, uh, like Heather said, passively we understand Ukrainian, yeah. and, and yeah. Um, over the years there were more and more folks. Um, speaking ukrainian so like if we went up to the capital um very often we would speak our conversation would be us speaking in russian and them speaking to us in ukrainian hmm, and, uh, interesting okay i do i i hear this is again because of the news but i hear the name of the capital of ukraine pronounced two different ways how what's the correct way i'm not even going to yeah. say it what's it's, the correct way right well if if um when we first moved to Ukraine, people said Kiev because that was Russian. Um, oh, but okay. now, even if I speak, uh, but in Ukrainian, it's Kiev. And um, and so even if I'm speaking Russian, I say Kiev. Um, you say Kiev out of honor yeah. for the country itself. And right. And, and where we okay. lived, it was they mixed the languages a lot. And, um, you know, and, and I joked with them because there were times where it felt like all of a sudden a word would drop out the russian word would drop out and then it was like you know it was like they were having secret meetings and saying okay we're going to replace <laughs> this word and from now on we're going to say this word in ukrainian we're speaking russian and then the ukrainian would come in and so and that was happening just more and more over the years yeah that's interesting that's super intriguing yeah and it, it has a rich history well before the USSR existed or even sure. before the empire of Russia mm -hmm. uh, existed too. And, and some people, I, 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 okay. I don't know. I didn't tell you guys this, but I was a Russian history major at OU. Uh, okay. and so I spent two summers in Russia with oh, cool. another campus ministry in uh, Volgograd, which was Stalingrad at the time, okay. uh, back during, um, World War II is where the mm -hmm. Russians pushed back the Germans. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in Samara uh, was mm -hmm. another yeah. major city that I was in. Yep. Um, but having studied Russian history, uh, geeking out about that, spending summers yeah. there, um, I do know that, gosh, Kiev and Ukraine 
are extremely influential on Russia as a whole culturally mm -hmm. and everything else. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's so interesting to see now Russia trying to take hold of right. Ukraine when Ukraine was so influential for centuries upon their country, their culture, right. mm -hmm. and yep. how things were. Mm -hmm. Did you get that sense uh, with Ukrainians that there was a, a historical pride in who they were as a people and that they, they recognize themselves as maybe being different from Russia, um, but then also having had historical influence on places like Russia and the surrounding countries? Sure. Um, yeah. And it, it was something that grew over time. Um, so Ukrainian independence was in 91. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we got there in 99, you know, it was still relatively new as, as a nation. Um, but they did, you know, see themselves as a different, uh, as separate from Russia. And um, as, as, as the years went on, they, it, it was it was it was kind of a growing thing. And then when uh, Russia started becoming aggressive, it almost kind of solidified um, mm -hmm. them. You know that you know we need to take this stuff, you know our our nationality more serious. We need to um, because like in our um, in our city, uh, you know I can when we, for the most of the time we lived there, there were three statues of Lenin you know, in different parts of the city. And instead of tearing him down, they changed the lettering on the monument from Russian to Ukrainian, which would have made Lenin mad. I don't think he wanted <laughs> yeah. his name written in Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. But, um, you know, every, every time we had uh, uh, groups come over and visit with us, you know, they would always want a picture of one of the Lenin statues that was downtown. And I think invariably, every time we were there, as we were taking a picture, a Ukrainian would walk by and just say, you know, that's our shame. And, Ooh, uh, you know, interesting. And, um, but those things didn't come down until 2014 when mm. Russia invaded Crimea and they invaded the Donbass, Donetsk, and Lugansk. Was, that was kind of like, you know, we need, that's when Lenin came down and, uh, and a Ukrainian monument was put in its place. Mm -hmm. And when our city, uh, because we're not far from those areas in 2014, they thought that Russia was going to sweep in back then. They started painting U Ukrainian flags all over the hmm. city just as kind of a last, last um, ditch effort to say that we want to remain Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And that if Russia comes in here, they're going to have to do, they're going to have to paint over a lot of flags. <laughs> yeah, a lot of painting over yeah. Yellow, yeah. yellow and blue. <laughs> Which they've done now because our yeah. city's been occupied. Uh, mm -hmm. since, almost since the beginning of the war, uh, Russia came in about a week, maybe 10 days later and took over mm -hmm. our city. So it's been under Russian occupation. And, since again, then. you, you started, you started, you did your language year. It was in Melitopol. Melitopol. And then and this then city. Berdyansk. Berdyansk. And Berdyansk um, is 45 minutes west of uh, one city that most folks heard about, Mariupol which was completely yeah. leveled. Um, yeah. So that was the next city over from us. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's, I, I want to get into this and, and find out more about your friends and the impact of your ministry uh, that the wars had um, for sure. But maybe before, before that, uh, mm -hmm. I want to know a little bit about your language year and if there were any 
fun language flubs <laughs> during your time mm -hmm. there? Did you did you do anything that you like? Either you laugh um, about or maybe you cry yeah. about now. Like, oh, I should not have said that. <laughs> so the the one word that I always had a hard time with was there's there's the word to write and the word to pee. And there's only like, there's only the vowel, vowel difference. And so okay. I would think in my head, which one is it? Which one is it? It was like an accent, you know, yes. either on the first syllable or on the last syllable. Yes. And invariably I'd always mess up that first year. And so I don't know how many times I got up in front of people and said that. And some people do pee and write at the same yeah. time. <laughs> they can write with, write with their pee. You can do that in the snow in Ukraine. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's probably oh, why they're so closely linked, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the only, um, the words for like a house fly, for flour, like a flour to make bread and uh, for suffering are all really similar. And I still, to, the, to this day, I kind of have to pause yeah. and oh, make sure, I, you know, the right one's coming yeah. out Those of my are mouth. Those are very, very different words yeah. to have. <laughs> but they, but yeah, they're, related. they're uh, similar. I think the, the funniest like language story I can think of from our first year, because we, we got to Ukraine in September of 1999. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was worried about uh, Y2K. Yeah. And uh, we kept getting the reports that uh, Ukraine was the least prepared country <laughs> in Europe. Nice. And, um, and so as we got closer uh, to that, we were, you know, kind of stocking up on food, stocking up on water and just kind of buying stuff in case things did crash. And, you know, we were going to have to rough it for a while. And um, one day we were walking to the market and said, you know, we're going to buy candles, you know, just in case, you know, let's buy yeah. a few candles and um, got, uh, we're walking up down the line. So we'd only been there. Two months yeah october november yeah two and a half months you know we weren't our language was terrible and um <laughs> uh we found candles and started talking to the vendor and realized that he was deaf and that we had um that this this section of the market we were in that all the vendors were deaf no and, uh, and so I, I, we felt so sorry for him because he's trying to read lips and our lips aren't moving <laughs> yes, in the correct yeah. way. And it was just really painful. And as we were walking home, um, uh, Heather asked me, you know, you know, I wonder who works with the deaf in Ukraine, the deaf and hearing impaired. And just immediately I, I responded. So I don't know, but I'm glad it's not us. Because <laughs> yeah, that's we sure. were, you know, we were drowning in Russian and then the idea of working, you know, trying to go even that much cross culture just seemed impossible. Oh, man. But that yeah. ended up being one of the most significant things we did in Ukraine was a ministry to the deaf and hearing impaired. How amazing is that to see it come full? Yeah. yeah, I think it was God just opening up our eyes and just, you know, just look at this. Yeah. Don't worry about it right now. We'll talk <laughs> about it later but look at it and you know my response is i'm you know it's not us not me i love too that it was a, a comical moment in your life <laughs> during your yeah. language yeah. language year that that's what brought it back around uh to that god used yeah. that so that's so funny so then okay you transitioned to beer dansk is my am, am i saying it yep. correctly yep. um there what was the what was the church network like or was it a church church network um, how did you get established and connected and start doing leadership development? 
Uh, so the churches that we worked with uh, were churches that survived communism. They were the only wow. Protestant once uh, once the Soviet Union formed. They mm-hmm. made all the Protestant churches into one. And so this was mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of an interesting thing because it's kind of a unifying church movement. Actually, they yeah. they meant it for porn, but it actually kind of unified the churches in Ukraine. And so this was the one Protestant church that had survived communism. And as a team, uh, our team had decided that they wanted to stay working with this specific church uh, because at the time Russia was uh, starting to come down on other denominations besides this one. Um, It wasn't happening in Ukraine yet, but Ukraine was still at the point where they were following Russia and a lot of the decisions Mm -hmm. that were like this, Russia would make something a law and then Ukraine would make the same law. And so where we couldn't be missionaries, if that happened in Ukraine, we wouldn't be able to be missionaries at a different denomination. Um, So that was one of the laws that was happening. So we wanted to stay with this church and Mm -hmm. also with the thought that we didn't know how long Ukraine was going to be open to missionaries. And so we wanted something that would kind of continue after us. Um, what, so that, why was that? that there was, was it, again, that like they're taking cues from Russia at that time, late 90s, early 2000s? Like what, what would have been the pushback against missionaries is, or is the strong the strong sense of, of pride in the Orthodox Church? And like, okay, well, it was just – in Russia, it was just the influence of the Orthodox Church keeping missionaries out. That um, you know, I'm not an expert on uh, Russia, and uh, but everything we ever understood that you couldn't live long term as a missionary in Russia. You could go in on short visas, but you couldn't live there mm-hmm. um, long term. And um, with Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's history has been. Um, over the past few centuries is they declare independence and someone comes in and squashes them, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Tsarist Russia or the Soviet Union um, or before that, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, that Ukraine has had just little windows of independence that got squashed. Mm-hmm. And um, historians, you know, uh, in Ukraine, you know, like, didn't have a feeling like this was going to be, you know, if, if we just look at history, this isn't going to be forever. And so it was, um, you know, even going in some of the pastors we worked with, um, the pastor in Melitopol was, was kind of a student of history. And he was like, yeah, you know, the chances are that this is not going to last. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that, and, Interesting. and, and then we see, you know, this lasted a lot longer than we thought. Yeah. But it's still, you know, Ru- with Russia's intentions, it, you know, yeah. it, it's you know history repeating itself and so we wanted to work with churches that were established work alongside to where you know if if we were kicked out of the country tomorrow Mm -hmm. everything wouldn't crumble that that these things that we were doing would continue and we always tried whatever we did we always tried to work alongside ukrainians um if we were going into a new village or starting a, a different type of ministry that there were always Ukrainians involved as well so that it wasn't dependent on us. And, um, and thankfully that's, you know, despite the war, a lot of this stuff continues because there's still Ukrainians involved. Yeah. Well, that's so and There was cool. moments where that was really frustrating where we wanted to do something, but if we didn't have someone who wanted to do it with us, we couldn't, we didn't do we it. We didn't do it. It wasn't going to so move forward. It was, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's that give and take of working in partnership and, and not mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. steering the ship. 
Hmm, that's so interesting. So then what what did leadership development look like then? Was it meeting with key pastors, working with lay leaders, teaching on Saturdays? Like uh, what what did it look like uh, for you guys or or how did it pick up steam? Did it look one way during your first term and then shift and change over the next couple of years mm-hmm. after that? I think every term looked different. And I, and we really liked furloughs for the opportunity to step out and then to step back in. And if mm-hmm. people had stepped into our roles that we didn't have to take those things back over again. And it, it was always, I thought furloughs were always a great opportunity to pivot, to reassess where we should be involved and where we can step away. Um, uh, one of the blessings of working in Ukraine is that they're an educated people that, that, you know, most Ukrainians, um, uh, went to school and uh, had degrees. That wasn't as quite as true um, uh, during the Soviet Union. Christians weren't allowed higher education. So our church was primarily uh, blue collar um, uh, um, workers that were plumbers, carpenters, bricklayers, um, welders, which was awesome because they built the church. You know, we, oh, our wow, church built cool. the church building because, they, you know, that's where their gifts were. And the other cool thing with... Um, it was kind of a, a, a good and bad that um, at our church and at most Ukrainian churches that were part of our um, network, uh, they had three sermons on Sunday morning. And then they had <laughs> three sermons, three sermons. There, wow. were, there was a um, and then in the evening they would have two. And then on the Wednesday night or Thursday night when they met, they would have two more. So you had seven sermons each week and you had different people right different people you had a group of it was the brothers that preached and so we had like at our church at any given time we had like 15 different guys that were preaching what that's amazing it is and it you know the three sermons were painful um (laughs) they were long usually too well they were usually it was like a 15 to 20 the first two were 15 to 20 minutes and they could have been any of the brothers and then the third was either the lead pastor or the deacons. And part of that role was if they needed to correct anything in the first two sermons, <laughs> they could. Um, and it was longer. So that was, yeah. you know, three sermons I thought was, I always argued against that. But, um, but the good thing about it was, is that these guys were, were being trained to preach and to teach. And yeah. so when we talked about going into a new village, we could talk about, you know, who we could take with us. And these were guys that were already, comfortable mm-hmm. preaching and teaching and so it was yeah. it was it was a mixed blessing it was great to be able to take yeah. into the villages i didn't want to yeah, hear all the sermon through. yeah sit through you're like sermon. can we back it off to like just a short yeah. communion yeah. meditation or devo guys that'd be great yeah, yeah. that's so funny yeah. oh, but that's cool that the model was there yeah of kind of yeah. building into the next leadership and and essentially creating a feeder system of sorts of people that could go out and start ministries and new places, uh, right. or that, that it was, it was teed up for that. So then every term was a little bit different, but I'd love to know a little bit about that dynamic of working with an established church. Uh, personally having worked in Ethiopia and working with a partner church, that was established during a communist, you know, pre-communist era. Sometimes there was a certain level of suspicion or pride that, hey, we we don't necessarily want to hear from the new missionary guy or gal or what or family, whatever it was. And 
they they were fine on their own were I, I don't know you know it just felt like they sometimes did want our help sometimes they didn't so did you guys run into any of that uh with with the churches you worked with in ukraine it was it was um you know there were a lot of things that we didn't agree with um with the church some of the things that they emphasized and um uh headscarves for women uh mm -hmm. dresses for women it seems like all the rules apply <laughs> to the gals <laughs> to women um baptisms were once a year uh they were much more conservative um than we were um in a lot of ways and it was the it was a lot of those things and especially those were identifiers that you know they were protecting the faith during communism and they and they were um distinguishing themselves from the greater culture with a lot of those practices um and so those things that some of those things that, that rubbed us the wrong way were the things that kept were able to sustain them during the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was um, some of those things, you know, you, you would like to push back on, but it, they, it felt like, you know, that this wasn't the best use of our time that, mm -hmm. that we wanted to be outreaching evangelistic. Um, we wanted um and, you know, so we could fight those battles and maybe, you know, get one of the sermons cut or, um, <laughs> you know, fight about head scars and all. But I didn't feel like it was worth it. How did that the, those things work themselves out on their own? How did the ministry then to the the deaf, uh, was it the deaf and blind community uh, or that that demographic of people? How did that ministry come about then over the years? How did that come back up after your language year? That was one of the coolest things that that was God giving us a ministry and saying, run with it. Um, because we'd never had any intention of working with the deaf and hearing impaired. We had a Bible college that was about um, three hours away from us. And one of our members, her daughter was studying um, at that Bible college and had been taking some sign language and she was home, uh, for, I think for Christmas break, maybe, yeah. or summer. Just a short. For, I think it was Christmas break, short break. And um, she was standing at a bus stop and saw two deaf ladies and struck up a conversation with them and invited them to church. And so for the next two Sundays that she was there, she translated as best she could for these two deaf ladies. And then she went back to college. And they're coming Wednesday Sunday morning and Sunday night and sitting on the front row of our church, not understanding anything. And um, it took us a few weeks scrambling, but we contacted um, that Bible college and uh, hired a, a graduate who had, um, who was good um, in sign language. And she came down and that's how we started our deaf ministry. Um, mm -hmm. We did an outreach. Uh, we had a, it was, it was the club for the, the deaf in Beardyansk. And one of the things I loved about deaf ministry was it was that you could go into any city and you could actually gather all the deaf people together, that they were all connected. So if you found one, you could find them all. And, you know, you know, they would come to one meeting. They might not come to the next one, but yeah. you could, you could organize something and, and, basically get everybody together um, because they had a, a deaf club. They had their network. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's how our deaf ministry started was with um, those two ladies and then um, hiring an interpreter for the deaf. Um, cell phones starting to be um, the average person being able to afford a cell phone. Mm-hmm. We um, did a couple of conferences for the deaf and hearing impaired because those things weren't happening yet. And, um, you know, you got folks from all over Ukraine and Belarus, a couple from Russia to come together for a conference. They all exchange phone numbers wow, and are now connected with one another. And they have this broader community. Well, that sounds like a really phenomenal ministry. And I, again, I love the fact that God brought it something from your language year, kind of a language flub moment to mm-hmm. a very impactful uh, part of your ministry uh, and something that you guys really were able to see a whole network uh, expand into other countries uh, like Belarus and Russia as well mm-hmm. uh, from that. That's, that's truly amazing. Um, uh, two questions that I love to ask our missionaries and missionary alumni um, that I'd love to have hear your, your input on are, in your life and ministry in Ukraine, over the 20 plus years of life and ministry there, what were some of the things that you found were the most life draining? Um, and then the converse of that, I'd love to hear a little bit about what did you find to be the most life giving to you uh, at, during that time? You can answer however you want. You can start with the negative or the positive, whichever you you would like. Um, I think for me, one of the hardest things was... Uh, that here in America, we kind of live anonymously. And everyone, every time I walked out of my apartment, I was the American. And um, I felt watched yeah. uh, and, uh, and judged and just kind of that feeling where they were watching what I bought. They would ask me about how much I paid for things. They would, uh, you know, and so it was, it was hard to always be, and especially when, once we had kids, um, them watching the way that, and I, and I was a new mom, so I wasn't sure what I was doing either. So mm-hmm. just them watching and commenting on, you Did know. you get a lot of advice and comments oh, on, oh, yes. don't do that with the girls or whatever? Yes, yes, very much so. Total strangers. Yes. <laughs> we give advice. Nice. <laughs> and they were well-meaning because they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they knew the right way to do things mm-hmm. and we didn't. And so they were helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, For yeah. that context, you're like, yeah. Georgia, y'all wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> so for me, that was probably the most uh, life draining. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as positive, it was, it's kind of the same thing, though, um, mm. it's, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. But, it was the community, um, just living in a close knit community where people knew me. And so yeah. it, it's kind of interesting that it was also draining, but also life giving at the same time. Sure. Um, I love the fact that um, people could just show up at our house. Um, at first, it bothered me mm-hmm. because of our American, you know, you have to call yeah. and I have to prepare. But it, but once I realized they didn't expect anything from me, um, all I had to do was have some cookies and tea and, you know, I just had that on hand all the time that that was all they didn't expect my house to be perfect. So, um, they didn't expect a meal. They didn't expect me to entertain them. Um, and it was just kind of nice that that wasn't expected and they could come Mm -hmm. and we could just visit for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. No, that really is is special. And it is funny that it's both 
the strength and the weakness of life and ministry in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it drove yeah. you crazy, but it, you yep. just desperately. Yeah, I understand yep. that. Same with Ethiopia. How about you, Jonathan? Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the cool life-giving things kind of happened because of um, how long we were in Ukraine, that a lot of the folks that we were working with um, at the beginning, um, at the end of our time in Ukraine, we were working with their kids. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's that, cool. um, you know, kids that we had known their whole lives. Um, and uh, it was, that was kind of a cool thing, you know, that seeing them grow up and now they're taking leadership and they're the ones leading ministries and going into villages. And we, you know, so we got to kind of work with two generations of, um, mm -hmm. of, uh, of folks in the church um, draining. Um, there are lots of things that were draining. <laughs> You know, we, you know, we would have kind of I hate Ukraine days where, you know, you lock the door, you turn off the phones and all. And it's like, you know, we, you know, just, um, but uh, those. I'm not talking things. to anybody. No, no, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I think one of the toughest things about uh, living overseas and, and, and ministry is that it all gets rolled up into one. Mm. And um, and it's hard to um, to disconnect. It's hard to step out. Um, but um, but but you have this really really strong community, and, mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes <laughs> you, you, it's, it, it can be overwhelming. But um, yeah, and I think the other um, the other thing that I think was life giving is just was how how um especially now looking back that um it was it was a good life that we had mm -hmm. it was a good place to raise our girls um we lived um on the sea of azov and so in the winter we had snow and ice and um and in the summer we were a 15 minute walk from the beach and wow um so you know, cool. our girl, you know, somebody in the youth group would say, hey, we're meeting at this bus stop and walking to the beach. And um, the girls had a, a pretty awesome upbringing and they would agree. I mean, they were a pretty mm -hmm. awesome life in Ukraine and a, a lot of freedom, um, you know, just to be able to go to the beach as a youth group or go downtown to the carnival. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, thankful for that, uh, that yeah. I think um, it was a good place to raise our family. Mm -hmm. um, uh, amen to that. Yeah, those are definitely things all worth missing and definitely uh, are mirrored in uh, my family's time in Ethiopia. And mm -hmm. I think people and community uh, definitely are the, the parts that probably mm -hmm. each one of us miss in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking, go ahead. One last story. I love the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. our, we had. Um, we had like a carnival that we would set up on our boardwalk every year by the, mm. by the sea. And um, we had a, um, a shawarma guy mm. who was um, from Syria, um, which is really, really sad to think that he fled Syria because of Russian war there. And then he comes to Ukraine and, and, um, and the war, the war follows him. Mm. But uh, he became a good friend of ours just because we were both, expats and just you know that mm -hmm. connection and we were down on the boardwalk one night and our, we had driven down a van full of girls 
all of our girls' friends, and they were just going to hang out on the boardwalk all night and ride rides and eat cotton candy and get shawarma. <laughs> and um, at one point, we happened to be sitting on a bench about 50 yards from our shawarma guy. And um, and the girls, we, we just noticed that the girls have just walked up with their friends. And um, and and so for some reason, he catches our eye. He sees us from across the square and he points to us. He's like, you know, I've got your girls. So your girl's right here. I've got them. I'm going to take <laughs> care of them. You know, and just yeah. the kind of community that people just, you know, and, you know, the girls were like, you know, you know, just couldn't believe, you know, his, that he, you know, he cared that much about him. Yeah. I'm going to take care of your girls. They're good. They're yeah. Women. Yeah. And, you know, and just, yeah. Just uh, moments like that. You just, you know, that, you know, that, that God was watching out for us and, mm -hmm. and just putting mm -hmm. people in our lives that loved us and yeah, made it possible for us to be, be there that long because if yeah. it weren't for folks like that, we couldn't have made it. Couldn't have been sustained in life and ministry. No, that's really neat. No. <laughs> but thinking about, the people and in the community um, as we're closing out our time, I'd love to know what are some ways that we can be aware of what's going on and be very mindful and prayerful for your friends, people you mm -hmm. love and ministered with and to uh, in light of the war going on there. Um, and clearly the suffering that people are going through just because of war, but as you just shared in, in Birdyansk that, <laughs> it's occupied uh, and they've painted over all of the, the flags. They're trying to destroy uh, a way of life, a uh, country and a people. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'd love to know these people that you know and love um, that many of us will never get to meet. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what can we be doing to be praying for them, be mindful of what's going on there? Um, it's kind of praying for two different groups of people. One is praying for the folks that have fled and have spread out all over Ukraine and just leaving everything, you know, that, the, the, you know, they, they've, they left, you know, with luggage and having this, you know, and leaving apartments and cars and, you know, stuff behind and um, have fled and spread out all over Ukraine, all over uh, Europe and then Canada and America. Um, we actually have um, sponsored two people from Berdyansk that now live in Fairburn with us. Um, no way. Yeah, <laughs> we, we sponsored two Ukrainians. They're the son and daughter. Um, they're siblings. They're not married. Mm. Um, son and daughter of the pastor that we worked with all these years. Oh, wow. Um, but just pray for them as they set up, try and set up new life and just how hard that is. And we've walked alongside this uh, brother and sister and it's really hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's really hard to establish a new life and mm -hmm. build a credit history to be able to get an apartment and find a good job. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And so just be praying for all these folks that are just spread out. The folks that have stayed and remained in Birdyansk and then in all the villages that we uh, were connected to. And there's lots of folks um, that are just trying to weather it and, um, and it's and now they're under um, like in our town where they're trying to force them to take uh, Russian passports. They they all the churches that we um, worked with are now closed and they can't be reopened until you um, uh, do all the documents under Russia. And to do that, you have to take a Russian passport yourself. And so it's just it's hard to um, mm. just a lot of hard decisions. Um, early on, it was really difficult for folks that couldn't 
um, get medicine and, and those kind of needs. And I've been really thankful um, uh, when we first, when the war first started happening, everybody wanted to give me money to send to Ukraine. And I was just doing that um, through PayPal and um, mm. Western Union. And so people were writing me checks for $1,000 and I would just send it on. Yeah. And um, another former CMF minis- uh, missionary, Dennis Reed, Mm-hmm. Uh, help, helped us with our finances all the time we were in Ukraine and hasn't turned it over to me yet. I don't think he trusts me, <laughs> yet. but he, he finally contacted me. He said, Jonathan, what are you doing? And I told him, he said, well, this looks an awful like money laundering. You've got to do this another way. <laughs> <laughs> but, nice. um, but thankfully we've been able um, that we continue to send money. Uh, we have three pastors and their wives in different parts of the country mm-hmm. that we send money to that get money to the folks that aren't getting help otherwise. Um, I'm just really thankful that we can continue to do that, but just yeah. pray for them as they make hard decisions um, uh, about putting their kids in Russian schools and um, uh, and just yeah. how to move forward. So some of your friends, ha- have they fled east I mean, fled west and gone near Kiev, and then others have tried are trying to stick it out, right uh, in, in in the east, and yeah, and that's where they're under the regime, and they're right. trying to figure out: do we stick stay the course here? Do we right. not leave these places? So. And and most of the people that have stayed are older, mm. um, people with kids, younger people, um, have left and have gone. Um, all over Ukraine, but also have left and, you know, gone all over Europe and America and Canada. Mm. And so if the war ends today and tomorrow, everything just starts moving towards better. Mm -hmm. uh, Ukraine is still devastated because they've lost so many young, talented, smart people um, Mm. that probably aren't going to return. And so, um, uh, you know, a lot of these villages 20 years from now won't exist. Um, and even towns like Birjansk, you know, they, they just lost um, all their young people. They're just going to get older and it's going to take a long time um, for it to recover, for, to recover that, you know, yeah. even if, like I say, tomorrow, uh, this, the yeah. war ends and everything starts working towards better. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, and That's I can't really imagine that the, the heartache that you guys, when you, the days when you probably, really think on it i'm sure it's it's hard yeah. to think much of anything else uh so um yeah. it, it currently uh that if someone is interested in giving uh towards the ministries or supporting some of the pastors that you worked with um is that still something set up within cmf that they can could give there's a way to do it there we have one one of um one of our guys that we worked with in Ukraine, CMF is currently partnering with, mm-hmm. uh, his name's, um, Vova. And mm-hmm. so if, yeah, if you talk to Greg Coley or mm-hmm. if you talk to Doug Gurman, mm-hmm. they can help, uh, they can get you connected to be able to help mm-hmm. him. And, uh, and he is a person that is working with displaced peoples, mm-hmm. the, the people that have fled and are, are, are settling somewhere else in Ukraine. He still goes into some of those, um, goes very close to the front line helping. And so he's a very yeah. worthy person. Yeah. Um, and, and the funds go through him and mm-hmm. through his organization. 
Okay. So yeah, those of y'all that are listening, if this is the first that you've heard about this uh, ministry opportunity, but you feel convicted and drawn to wanting to, to support CMF ministries and, and, activities of like what Vova is doing uh, with the displaced peoples within Ukraine, uh, contact CMF and we will help you uh, get connected and uh, funding up uh, that, that opportunity. Jonathan, Heather, uh, it is truly been a joy uh, to connect today um, and to hear a little bit of your story. I feel like we could sit and chat all day uh, about your life and your ministry and everything that's uh, been going on for the 20 plus years of your dedication to Christ and your dedication to the Ukrainian people. Um, so I look forward to a future conversation uh, and hearing a little bit more about things and then also seeing where God leads you all going into the next couple of years in life and ministry. Uh, so thank you so much for your faithfulness uh, and for being awesome mom and dad uh, for <laughs> Maya and Sasha um, and also being uh, amazing partners uh, for the gospel uh, in Ukraine. God bless you guys, and thank you for this time. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks very much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Fellowship Podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode so that more people can learn about what God is doing around the world and how they can be a part of it.